Hello, and welcome to Buffy and the Art of Story Season 2. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and you love creating stories, or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're in the right place. I am Lisa M. Lilly, author of the Awakening Supernatural Thriller series and the QC Davis Mysteries, and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com. Today we're talking about Season 2, Episode 17, Passion. I'll cover who the protagonist is here, Angel, whose voice is the first one we hear, or Buffy. How a shift in a character's actions and words underscores the tragedy here and using dramatic irony to ratchet up the emotional pain of the audience. As always, there will be no spoilers except at the end to talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. Passion was written by Ty King and directed by Michael Gershman. This episode raises interesting questions about who the protagonist is, and it shows two plots or the same plot from two different points of view weaving together, which is something that usually is difficult to do, but that is done very well in this episode. And that's despite that some of the plot turns I usually look for are not quite as clear, yet there are significant turns that keep the story moving and engaging. So that's another reason I find this one very interesting. We begin with intense conflict. Buffy and Xander are dancing at the bronze. That's not the intense conflict. Um, they are having fun, but Angel is watching from a distance. We know there is danger here for Buffy. The voiceover is about passion and Angel tells us it lies in all of us waiting unwanted. It will stir, open its jaws, and howl. We see Buffy, Willow, Xander, and Cordelia leave the bronze, but we are not hearing them. We only hear music. An angel in the shadows behind them is biting and killing a woman. We switch to an outside view of Buffy's bedroom, looking through her window. Buffy peers out, looking troubled. Angel comes in during the night. He strokes her hair, and the voiceover continues. Passion rules us all, and we obey. What other choice do we have? And we go to credits. That was 2 minutes, 29 seconds in at credits. In the morning, Buffy wakes up. She finds an envelope, and inside it is a charcoal drawing of her sleeping. At the library, she tells Giles about it. When Cordelia asks how Angel could come in, Giles explains to everyone that once they are invited, vampires can come in any time. They don't need an invitation each time. And Cordelia panics, saying she invited Angel into her car once, and now he can come in any time. And we get some humor here as Xander says, yep, you're doomed to giving him and his vamp pals a lift whenever they feel like it. And those guys never chip in for gas. This is the first example of Cordelia and Xander being comic relief. Cordelia in the fashion we've become used to where she is very self-focused and sometimes misses the emotions of others. And that contrasts to her later response toward the end of the episode. All of this has happened leading up to right around 4 minutes 30 seconds in when Giles will identify what's happening. This is where we usually see our story spark or inciting incident about 10% into a story and it sets off our main plot. And here, as Giles will say in a moment, it is that Angel is stepping up his harassment of Buffy. If I needed to pick a particular second in the episode, it is that drawing that charcoal drawing that he leaves for her. His point is to let her know that he has done it. Buffy says there must be a spell to reverse that invitation, a no shoes, no pulse, no service kind of thing. Giles tells them Angel is stepping up his harassment. And Cordelia says, what, by leaving a drawing? Why doesn't he just slit her throat or kill her while she sleeps or cut her heart out? Everyone gives her a look and she says, what, I'm trying to help. And Giles says, yes. 
and then goes on. He says these are tactics to throw the opponent off her game, provoke her into making a mistake. And Xander says the na-na-na-na-na approach to battle. And Giles says, yes, Xander, once more you've managed to boil a complex thought down to its simplest possible form. He then advises Buffy that it's best to ignore this provocation, but she is worried because of what Angel told her about how he went after Drusilla's family when he was obsessed with Drusilla and says she needs to tell her mom something. Giles warns her against telling the truth, says it would be too dangerous for Buffy to reveal her identity, but he reassures her he'll find a spell to keep Angel out and in the meantime says keep a level head, don't let Angel get to her. Buffy responds so basically ignore him and maybe he'll go away and Giles says yes. Xander then points out that he didn't scold Buffy about oversimplifying and says watchers pet. Now we see Jenny at the end of her computer class. She asks Willow if she could cover class for a few minutes tomorrow if Jenny is late. She has something to take care of. Willow is super excited about this uh, and then immediately starts to worry about what if the students don't recognize her authority. Buffy and Giles come to the door and Willow apologizes for talking to Jenny. She says, sorry, I have to talk to her. She's a teacher and teachers have to be respected even if they're only filling in and she rambles on about that showing more of her anxiety. I like that we get this moment. It's fun. It's characterization of Willow. It shows the tension there that Willow and our other friends they still really like Jenny as a teacher and it's a difficult position. Also this Jenny needing to go and do something we'll see later is her going to the magic shop. So it's a nice way to bring Jenny into this episode in a way that we don't realize is going to be key to the story. Giles stays back to talk to Jenny after the others leave. He tells her about Angel being in Buffy's bedroom and says he needs a spell. She gives him a book that might help. She's been reading up since Angel turned and she says, I know you feel betrayed. And Giles says, yes, well, that's one of the unpleasant side effects of betrayal. We get some of the best Giles lines throughout this episode, both heartrending like this one and funny like his earlier ones. I think this is because, well, one, the writers are amazing at dialogue, but also while this is Buffy's story and Angel's story, it is also Giles' story. So we get some of our best Giles here, which makes us feel all the more for him. Jenny says she was raised by the people that Angel hurt the most. Her duty to them was the first thing she learned and she didn't know what would happen. She didn't know she'd fall in love with Giles. Giles is surprised. We have his and Jenny's theme music playing um, and she says, oh, that, that just came out. But she doesn't want to take it back. And she wants to make this all up to him. Giles says he understands, but he's not the one she needs to make it up to. At dinner, Joyce asks Buffy what's wrong, urges her to talk, says, you can tell me anything. I've read all the parenting books. And I love that we get this additional reference to Joyce before she talked about the parenting tapes. Now we hear she's reading books. So Buffy says, do you remember Angel? And Joyce says, oh, that college boy that was tutoring you which is a reference to the episode Angel in season one another one where we had intertwining Buffy and Angel plots and Buffy uh, tries to explain it she says they were dating and now they're not Joyce says don't tell me he's changed he's not the same guy you fell for and Buffy says yes that he's sending her notes and she doesn't want to see him if he shows up she'll talk to him but don't invite him in so she is in anticipating that they're going to have a spell soon to keep Angel out, but also wants to cue her mom that Angel could be dangerous. We're coming to our one-quarter twist. This comes from outside the protagonist and spins the story in a new direction. And at 11 and a half minutes in, Willow and Buffy are on the phone. We're seeing Willow in her room. She says she agrees with Giles. Don't let Angel get to you. Then at 12 minutes, she sees an 
envelope on her bed. So remember in Lie to Me, the episode about Buffy's friend Ford, Willow invited Angel into her room. So he can come in and he has because she opens the envelope and finds her goldfish dead inside strung together on a fishing line. This is a little past one quarter, but I see it as that first major twist because Angel is doing what Buffy feared. He is escalating the harassment by going after people Buffy loves. In our next scene, Willow and Buffy are in Buffy's bedroom with garlic hung all around them. One of the few references we get to the traditional idea that vampires, that garlic repels vampires. And Buffy says it's so strange. When things like this happen, her first thought is to run to Angel. I think this is part of why the show works so well because most of us have felt this way at some time. You have someone you love who is in your life who you turn to and something happens, a breakup, and it's terrible. And yet your first thought is to go to that person for comfort, for help, and you realize all over again that you can't and that the person is gone. She also apologizes about the goldfish and Willow says she's okay with it um, but she says though for the first time I'm glad my parents didn't let me have a puppy. And that's a callback to last week when we heard Giles start to tell Buffy what Angel did to a puppy. Willow points out that one thing hasn't changed that Buffy is still the only thing Angel thinks about. Continuing our puppy theme which is sort of interesting Drusilla brings Spike a puppy and she's trying to get him to eat it and she even does almost like that little airplane thing that parents do with toddlers and Spike not surprisingly doesn't love this he says he won't have her feeding him like a child and Angel says why not she already bathes him and dresses him and carries him around because he's still in that wheelchair Angel implies he's having sex with Drew in Spike's place and Drusilla loves being fought over but suddenly she um, seems to be in terrible pain and she says the air it worries because an old enemy is seeking help. Jenny walks into the magic shop. The proprietor offers her a love potion or voodoo doll and she says I need an orb of Thessala. He says oh you're in the trade and apologizes for giving her the pitch he usually does for tourists and talks about how Ouija boards and love potions and revenge spells especially around Valentine's Day pay the rent. He gives her the orb and says it's a spirit vault for rituals of the undead and he sold a couple as new age paperweights and he tells her you know the transliteration annals are lost and the surviving text is gibberish without them. And he says I mention it because we have a strict no refund policy. At least giving us some plot reason or some character reason for this exchange of info and Jenny says that's okay. She's working on a computer program to translate and he asks what she's planning on doing with them when she gets that done and she says it's a present for a friend his soul and we cut to commercial Outside the school, Willow is upset to see Jenny and says something like five hours lesson preparation out the window. Buffy follows Jenny, wants to talk to her, and she really struggles with letting Jenny off the hook because she first says, I know you feel badly, and I wanted to say, and then she says, good, keep it up. And Jenny says, don't worry, I will, and starts to walk on. And Buffy says, wait, and then says he misses you. And goes on to tell her that Giles doesn't say it, but she knows he's lonely and she doesn't want him to be lonely. She doesn't want anyone to be. And Jenny says, if I can make it up to you, and Buffy says, we're good, let's leave it. In the next scene, Giles tells Buffy and her friends that he's found a spell to reverse the invitation, and Cordelia says, Thank God I had to switch cards with my grandmother. Uh, Another interesting view into Cordelia's world. We're then at Willow's bedroom. She nails a cross on the wall and says, "Um, how will she explain this to her dad? Ira Rosenberg's only daughter nailing crucifixes to the wall. And I can't help mentioning it is not a crucifix. Many, many years of going to Catholic Mass and uh, CCD, which is Catholic Education for Public School Kids, a crucifix is 
is where you have the uh, depiction of the body of Christ hanging on the cross. If it's just a cross without that, it's a cross, not a crucifix. She also says she has to go to Xander's just to watch a Charlie Brown Christmas, but it's worth it when he does the Snoopy dance. Cordelia is at the fish tank and says, do you know there are no fish in here? Another example of being a little tone deaf on Cordelia's part, though, to be fair, she might not have known about Willow's fish. She then finds an envelope on the bed. Inside is a charcoal drawing of Joyce asleep. I'm surprised that Buffy didn't do her house first. I'd never noticed that before. They mentioned they already did Cordelia's car. So they did the car and Willow's bedroom. I didn't notice before because I just love the episode, the dialogue, the humor about the Snoopy dance, uh, the dramatic moment of the drawing. So I don't notice that. It kind of doesn't fit Buffy's character. On the other hand, maybe it fits because as teenagers... Their world is mainly about school and friends and their day-to-day lives and with less thought about parents. In fact, the reference to Peanuts is interesting, the Charlie Brown Christmas, because in Peanuts, the adults are all just those wah-wah-wah voices. And that is largely true in Buffy's world, other than Giles, because he's her watcher, and occasionally Joyce. It doesn't quite fit for Buffy, though, because we know she is very concerned about her mom. We switch to Buffy's house, and the answer of why she doesn't do it sooner is we want this dramatic scene and we wanted to deal with the fact that she finds this envelope that Angel is anticipating where she will go and left the envelope for her at Willow's which makes it more uh, his psychological warfare very effective. We are coming to the midpoint of the episode and Angel is waiting outside um, right at the front door. Joyce pulls up from the grocery store gets out and in a way I see this to the extent Angel is the protagonist as a midpoint commitment for him. Usually at the midpoint we have the protagonist throwing caution to the wind, committing to the quest, or suffering a major reversal. And here in a way this is Angel's commitment because normally you know we see him pop into Buffy's world the way he did when he confronted Teresa but usually it's just a blip he really lives mainly with Drusilla and Spike and in the shadows leaving envelopes coming in at night but here he is confronting Joyce and is going to have this conversation with her so he's out in the open and he is going after the person other than Giles who is most key to Buffy. If you missed season one of the podcast or you would like to revisit it or know someone who might like to read it rather than listen, Buffy and the Art of Story season one, Writing Better Fiction by Watching Buffy, is now available in both paperback and on Kindle. If you are a Kindle Unlimited subscriber, you can borrow it free or you are welcome to buy it outright. Also, if you are looking for help with the plot of your story, Check out Writing as a Second Career, Help With Your Story. I do offer very limited slots for critiquing outlines or outlines and pages, depending where you are at. I can't do this very often because during the year I teach and it doesn't leave me a lot of free time, but I just finished up a semester. So shoot me an email if you are interested. Lisa at lisalily.com. This point in the episode is also a major reversal for Buffy as our protagonist because Angel as Angelus is interacting with her mother, the one person close to her who doesn't know what's really going on and who she loves so much. Angel plays the stalker boyfriend perfectly. He says, Mrs. Summers, I need to talk to you. Uh, He says he needs to be with Buffy and she has to intervene to help him. Joyce is is terrific in this. She's very clear with Angel, very firm. She says, I'm telling you, leave her alone. You're scaring her and you need to back off. 
And it's also nice because we don't often get to see Joyce as a character being able to protect Buffy. Usually Buffy, whether her mom knows it or not, is protecting Joyce and protecting everyone else. Joyce fumbles for her keys, some oranges fall out, Angel helps her pick them up. And we are 21 minutes, 47 seconds in, so right about at that episode midpoint and Angel says Joyce doesn't understand. I'll die without Buffy. She'll die without me. And Joyce says, are you threatening her? And she says, I'm calling the police. And Angel goes on, I haven't been able to sleep since the night we made love. So more significant reversal for Buffy that now her mother will know this. It leads to Buffy's commitment in this episode at 22 and a half minutes in. The door opens and Buffy and Willow are chanting in Latin. And then Buffy says to Angel, sorry Angel I changed the locks and slams the door so this isn't quite the throwing of caution to the wind that we sometimes see for a protagonist but it is in an emotional and subtle sense because this is the most directly that Buffy has shown Joyce this part of her world they are doing a spell in front of Joyce we switch to Giles in Jenny's classroom she says she's working late tonight on a special project and she tells him she spoke to Buffy and Buffy said he missed her and Giles said something like well she's a meddlesome girl and Jenny tells him she might have some news she needs to finish up could she see him later he says she can stop by his home we get the Jenny and Giles theme music and he looks so happy and leaves we switch to Drusilla at the magic shop she is holding the puppy which she is named Sunshine and she says Miss Sunshine wants to know what you and the mean teacher talked about Drusilla learning about Jenny's spell is another reversal for Buffy and for everyone. So we see while there isn't just one clear reversal or commitment here, we see this series of reversals. Jenny is now in her classroom. It's dark. There is apparently no budget for after hours lights at Sunnydale High. And this is another major reversal that will drive the rest of the story because Jenny is very happy she clicks some keys and says to herself that's it it's gonna work and she saves to one of these small plastic discs I forget what they were called but they were a big advancement at the time because before that we had these floppy discs that were bigger they held less data and they were harder to manage and it was a move to these smaller square plastic discs I want to say compact discs but I'm I'm not sure if that's the right term anyway she saves to that pops it out and she prints on one of these old dot matrix printers that had like this rolling paper that went through the printer and they made this very distinctive noise and as it is printing Angel comes into the classroom Jenny jumps to her feet Um, she says something about how did he get in and he uh, says the Latin inscription over the door which I cannot pronounce I think Jenny translates it's enter all ye who seek knowledge and Angel says what can I say I'm a knowledge seeker although my guess is it's a public place he, he could come in Jenny says I can help you um, and he says yeah I know you're going to restore my soul he picks up the orb of Thessala and says you know what he hates about these things and he flings it against the wall and it breaks he says uh, they're so fragile he also throws the computer to the ground and it catches fire and burns yeah even back then computers were not so badly designed that they would catch fire if they if they broke at least as far as I know but we'll go with it um, Uh, And he burns the pages over the flames, even as Jenny is trying to say, you know, I can cure you. And he says, no thanks, been there, done that. Deja vu just isn't what it used to be. I feel like television shows have more leeway for things like computers bursting into flames than novels do, partly because in a novel, As we're reading, we think about it more. As the reader, you're thinking more on a TV show like this, especially action. It's going very fast. 
the writers can play with reality a, a bit more and be less true to it because not too many people are going to pause and say, what, would that would that really burst into flames? So I kind of envy uh, TV and movie writers for that. Jenny tries to run. She goes out in the hallway. Angel plays cat and mouse with her. He lets her feel like she might be getting away. Eventually at the top of the stairs, he blocks her way, grabs her and twists her neck and kills her. I was so sure when I first watched that she wasn't really going to die, but she does. In the interview on the DVD, Joss Whedon said they have Angel in vamp face when he kills Jenny, even though he doesn't need to because he's not biting her. But they felt that if he had on his human face, no one would ever want to see Buffy kissing that face again. He also said Angel doesn't bite Jenny for two reasons. One, they didn't want anyone thinking she might come back as a vampire. But it was also an insult to break her neck. Like he wasn't even bothering to feed on her. I saw it as he's doing it purely for sport. From here on, we have this emotional escalation, much like we saw in Nightmares, the one with all the people at the school, their nightmares come true. And we had that scene with Buffy and her dad where every sentence was just that much more awful than the last one. And you didn't think it could get any worse. Or in Innocence with the Buffy and Angel scene in his bedroom when she doesn't know he's turned yet and he's so awful to her. And you keep thinking the writers can't make this any more terrible for her, and they do. So here we don't see it in one scene. We see it throughout the episode that it keeps ratcheting up the the tragedy and the awfulness and the pain of this. Next, we see Giles knocking on Buffy's door, and Willow lets him in. And we realize that Giles doesn't know yet. He has come by to see how the spell went. The next couple of scenes are wonderful in themselves. And we get that added as viewers. We know this has happened. So we're feeling this for Giles, even though he is completely unaware right now. And everyone is. So it adds to that drawing us through the episode, keeping us engaged. Willow tells him the ritual went fine. But, and Willow, it's great. She says that Angel showed up and told Buffy's mom that he and Buffy, well, you know, that they had, you do know, right? And he says yes. And she says she wasn't sure him being a librarian and all and Giles says no thank you I got it so Joyce and Buffy are upstairs talking and Giles asks if maybe he should intervene on Buffy's behalf with her mom and Willow says sure like what would you say and Giles says you will tell Buffy I drop by and he leaves we switch to Buffy and Joyce. Buffy is trying to explain the spell. She says Angel's just really superstitious and that will help keep him away. Joyce asks if Angel was her first, then says maybe she doesn't want to know. But Buffy says yes, the first, the only. Joyce is angry at Buffy. She's saying Angel's older, too old, uh, obviously not very stable, and she thought Buffy would use better judgment. Buffy tries to explain, and Joyce doesn't let her. She says, you know, you had sex with a boy you didn't even tell me you were dating. And Buffy says she can't tell her everything. And Joyce says, how about anything? She's so angry. And in some ways, this seems uh, a little bit unfair because we'll learn that Joyce and Buffy apparently have not talked about sex before. And Buffy's 17. So it, it seems like in a way, Joyce is blaming Buffy for her own failure to open these conversations. But she goes on to say, you can shut me out. I'm pretty much used to it, but don't ever expect me to stop caring about you. I never will. And she tells Buffy she loves her more than anything in the world. And she's like, now's your cue to roll your eyes. And Buffy says, no, she's not grossed out. She's not going to roll her eyes. Uh, and they have this really nice moment where Joyce says, I guess that was the talk. And Buffy says, so how'd it go? Joyce says, I don't know. It was my first. I do love this moment between them. And I think the show does a great job of showing this complication of being a parent. We've seen that Joyce is trying, and yet here is an example of initially, it seems like she's not doing a great job, and yet she gets the important part out, how much she loves Buffy, and we see that's where this anger comes from. A nice use of conflict bringing out character and bringing out their relationship. This idea of this being the first talk, this is another example that I think in a novel would be more challenging because 
in a novel, we are getting the character's interior thoughts. And you would have to, um, not at length, but you would have to somehow deal with why did Joyce and Buffy never talk about this before? But the show moves quickly, and so we don't really spend time on thinking, hey, Buffy's 17. Wouldn't, wouldn't Joyce have had this conversation earlier? You know, we all bring something different to fiction, and that didn't occur to me when I first saw it because I grew up with a mom who was not comfortable talking about those kinds of things. But Joyce has been built as a character, is very forthright, as someone who I don't see would be uncomfortable with that. So I think there is a little bit of a disconnect there between this being the circumstance and who Joyce has been built to be. But again, I think the TV show, uh, we kind of whistle past it because we're not going to spend a ton of time here. We are waiting to find out what happens with Giles and Jenny. We switch to Giles' apartment. This whole scene is all the more heartbreaking because of dramatic irony where we know something the character doesn't. And here we know what Giles is going to learn. So he comes in. There's beautiful sweeping music playing, um, classical music. He finds a bottle of champagne on ice and a single red rose with a note that says upstairs. He smiles, takes off his glasses, smooths his hair. These gestures show us so much about Giles' anticipation, his happiness. On the stairs, there are lit candles and rose petals leading him up, and this is just killing us because we know it's coming. He sees Jenny in bed and at first thinks she's waiting for him. And then at 33 and a half minutes in, he realizes her neck is bent wrong and he drops the champagne bottle and glasses. The music crescendos as the glass shatters at his feet. This is the third major plot turn. That is the three-quarter turn. It comes out of the midpoint commitment and reversal, usually, in a well-structured story. And it's generally about three-quarters through uh, an episode or book, which is why I call it that. Here, it is not quite as clear if it comes out of the reversal. If we see the major reversal at the midpoint as coming a little later when Drusilla learns about Jenny's plan, then this clearly arises from it. If we see the reversal and commitment as Angelus revealing himself to Joyce and confronting her, putting her directly in danger, telling Joyce about he and Buffy making love, then it's not quite so clear. Although it is the escalation of his harassment of Buffy by killing her friends. We pan back from Giles' face. Now he is in the forefront as the police process the scene behind him and a detective says he needs Giles to answer some questions. In Angel's viewpoint again, from outside the Summer's house on the first floor, we look through the window into um, like the dining living room area. Willow and Buffy are together. They look relatively happy. We get this voiceover again. Passion is the source of our finest moments, the joy of love, the clarity of hatred, and the ecstasy of grief. The phone rings inside, and from outside through that window, we watch Buffy answer. We see her face as she listens, and she hands the phone to Willow, and Buffy slides down to the floor. Her back's against the wall, and she slides down and sits on the floor. We now hear Willow the way you might. Through that window, we hear just that she says no, and she sobs. Her whole body shows her grief, and Joyce comes in and goes to Willow. It's set up so that maybe she doesn't quite register Buffy there on the floor, and she's holding Willow and trying to comfort her. With any other writer, I feel like this would be the climax of the episode, the the apex of the, the grief and the pain that Angel has caused. But it's not, because we are just going to keep ratcheting up the emotional pain and the stakes here. So about 36 minutes in, we're outside. Xander and Cordelia drive up in her car. Xander gets out the passenger side and says Giles is gone from the station. They went there to find him. And Buffy asks Cordelia, will she drive them to Giles' house? And she says, of course. This is that moment I feel has such significance. It's so minor, but Cordelia's muted, of course. No comments, no observations, no funny lines that lines she doesn't find funny, but the audience does. None of that, just of course. 
that change in tone underscores our emotional pain and the tragedy here. At Giles' apartment, we see Giles. He's alone and he takes a large bag of weapons and leaves and we close up on a charcoal drawing of Jenny and cut to commercial. That drawing wasn't there before Giles came back, so we know Angel actually went back and placed that drawing for Giles and Buffy to find later. Back at Giles' apartment, Xander sees the champagne bucket, and he thinks Giles had a big night land. But Buffy says Giles didn't set this up. Angel did. And she shows him the drawing. Buffy says Giles has gone to kill Angel. Xander now, this totally fits his character, but it doesn't make me like him. He says it's about time somebody tried to kill Angel. He gets a little pushback and he says he hated Angel before everyone else jumped on the bandwagon and he thinks he deserves kudos for not saying I told you so sooner. And that's the part, ugh, Xander, I understand his point, but he's kind of awful here. But Buffy says, I agree. But she says there's one problem with Giles and a revenge scenario it's going to get him killed. At the factory, Spike also is not happy. He says, are you insane? We're supposed to kill the bitch, not leave gag gifts in her friend's beds. And Drusilla says, but the teacher was going to restore Angel's soul. And Spike, I love this, he says something like, who cares? He finds himself preferring the Buffy-whipped Angel. This one's not playing with a full deck. And he goes on and says, quote, his little pranks will only leave us with one incredibly brassed-off slayer. Angel says, you know, don't worry, he has it all under control. And a flaming arrow flies in and hits him in the shoulder. So now we are going to the climax of the episode. First, though, I want to revisit the question I asked at the beginning. Who is the protagonist? The protagonist should have a goal, pursue that goal actively, be the main point of view character, and have the most at stake. So Angel has a goal here to harass Buffy, and he actively pursues that goal. We could argue that he is the most active in this episode. Buffy, in many ways, is reacting but she does have a goal as well and it is from that inciting incident or story spark on to protect her family and friends and she also actively pursues it it's just not a violent goal like angels but she is telling her mom things to try to put her mom on guard she has giles looking for a spell she does the spells so they both actively pursue a goal angel we do get strong angel point of view here we start in his point of view we get key scenes from it in a way that we normally don't literally looking through windows at Buffy and we get his ongoing commentary about passion which is ominous and also conveys a theme for the episode and as I'll talk about in spoilers for the rest of the season and some of next season but we also see Buffy's point of view as much if not more what she's going through how she is trying to stop him her experiences with Joyce and we will end in her point of view directly when she's at Jenny's grave and then in a way through Willow we are definitely seeing that not literally through Buffy's eyes but we are in sympathy with Buffy and Willow and the others at that point so point of view could go either way though it is very strong for Angel finally the protagonist should have the most at stake and that's where I think Buffy is the protagonist here because she has at stake her friends Willow she has her mom at stake and we'll see Giles in a moment and And that is just the highest stakes for Buffy. Her life is always on the line, but this is direct threats to the people she cares about the most. While Angel doesn't really have anything at stake, if this strategy doesn't devastate her, he will try another. So he doesn't have the high stakes here. So ultimately, I think that Buffy is the protagonist, but it is really interesting because from his point of view and her point of view, we really have in a way these two intertwining plots that are very strong and it reminds me of the episode Angel where I saw the master's plot as the antagonist that it was essentially really his
his plot. And then Buffy and Angel each had their own subplots about their relationship and what else was happening. Here, I think we see the main plot, but we see it from these two perspectives that come together really well. So now we are at the climax. We're about 39 minutes in and the factory is on fire in parts and Giles lights a torch and swings it at Angel and beats him with it. Angel is quipping at first. He's uh, irritated more than in peril, although there is some danger. And Drusilla starts to go to help him and Spike pulls her back and says, no fair going in unless he tags you first. I think this works so well because we have seen this building Angel and Spike conflict and I think Spike is like, yeah, whatever. I'm just as happy to see Angel go down here. Also, we have set up that Drusilla, despite her loving Angel and Spike fighting over her, she does care for Spike. She is very concerned for him. So I find it believable that she stays back even though clearly Spike can't hold her back. She's far more physically powerful than him, but she agrees and they stay out of the fight. The fight escalates. Giles actually knocks Angel down, but then he stands, grabs Giles by the neck, and lifts him up and says, all right, you've had your fun, but you know what it's time for now. And Buffy says, my fun, and comes from behind him and starts kicking him. I like this so much because we almost think Giles might be getting the better of Angel, and we realize Angel's just playing with him. And I like that because, yeah, Giles is a good fighter. Uh, he's very smart, but Angel is so strong and so smart, uh, or maybe so cunning. You couldn't buy that Giles could get the better of him for very long. Buffy fights Angel, and she is getting the better of him. They're uh, going up to the next level onto this catwalk. We can see a difference in her fighting from in Innocence, that episode where Angel turned, where she's fighting him, but she's not quite going in for the kill. She can't kill him. She is going for the kill here. Angel though starts laughing despite that she probably is about to uh, overpower him and he says you going to let your old man just burn? Buffy looks down the fire has gotten out of control Giles is on the floor and she needs to save him so she leaps down and drags him out and this is where our emotions raise even further which I would not have thought was possible Giles is yelling at Buffy and he's saying why did you come here it's not your fight he really wanted to get the better of Angel and in his fury and hurt and grief doesn't doesn't even see that he was going to die or he doesn't care. And Buffy punches him and knocks him to the ground and says, are you trying to get yourself killed? And she just starts sobbing and hugs him and holds him and says, you can't leave me. I can't do this alone. We have not seen Buffy fall apart. We've seen her very emotional since Angel turned, that moment in the car with Giles, um, with Joyce later. But it was a very muted kind of, we see that pain in her face, but we did didn't see her sobbing and breaking down and here she does and it is so very moving so that was our climax that is why I see that as part of the climax or the climax not the falling action the falling action is where we tie up the loose ends I don't think that was a tying up loose ends I think that was the climax of the episode in the falling action we get Angel's voice over again and he is talking about passion again and he says it hurts more than we can bear and we see Giles pulling the police tape off his door and going into his empty apartment and Angel says if we could live without passion maybe we'd know some kind of peace but we would be hollow without passion we'd be truly dead. We then switch to the graveyard as Angel is saying we'd be truly dead. Giles and Buffy are at Jenny's tomb. There's music in the background and I found an article after I watched that said Anthony Stewart Head does vocals in that music so I'm going to have to listen again. I'll put a link to the article in the show notes if you're interested. Buffy says I'm sorry I couldn't kill him for you for her when I had the chance. I wasn't ready. As she says I think I finally am the scene switches 
to Willow walking into Jenny's classroom. And she tells the class that she's filling in until the new computer teacher arrives. Uh, Something that could only happen in Sunnydale where we have a, a student taking over. But we continue with Buffy's voiceover then and she says she can't hold on to the past. Angel's gone and nothing's ever going to bring him back. And this voiceover is as Willow puts her books down on the desk and she knocks something to the floor and we see it's that plastic disc with the spell on it and it falls into the space between the desk and a cabinet. So more emotional pain at the very end because the key to restoring Angel's soul still exists but none of them know it. And the episode's finished so it is a great hook as well for the rest of the season. A couple other things from that DVD interview with Joss Whedon. He said this episode is Angel's first real offensive against Buffy and that they specifically put the death of Jenny at a pivotal moment in the story arc for the season because Angel needed to kill someone to tell the audience that not everyone is safe. That someone um, integral to the show whose death is final and scary can be ripped away from us. And he said it is also to show Angel is not just a little evil. um, He's not just grouchy. He is Buffy's enemy. And the episode is there to make Buffy realize that she has has to kill him and get him out of her life. Joss said he wanted it to be as hard for the audience as possible and I think he succeeded and his goal was he wanted them to know that redeeming Angel or getting him back would be difficult or impossible and so fraught with consequences that the audience wouldn't be sure if they wanted him back. I think that this episode achieves all of that. That is it for this episode. Other than spoilers, which I hope you will stick around for, if you don't, thank you so much for listening. And if you have thoughts on the show, questions about story structure or character, um, anything you'd like to share, you can find me on Twitter at Lisa M. Lily. That's L-I-S-A M is in Marie, L-I-L-L-Y, hashtag Buffy Story, or email me Lisa at LisaLily.com. And I will see you, I hope, next Monday for Killed by Death, where we get the wonderful Cordelia quote, tact is just not saying true things. And we are back for spoilers. I'll start with a fun one. Willow mentioning the Snoopy dance. I so love this because it comes back in season six, The Replacement, where we have two Xanders. And one of them proves he is Xander by actually doing the Snoopy dance. This is less foreshadowing and more the idea of really tracking your character development. Uh, a lot of authors, and I'm, I'm sure screenwriters, keep what's called a series. Bible where you make notes of this kind of information so that you don't have to go back and look through previous episodes or books and you know hey you know Willow goes to Xander's for the Charlie Brown Christmas special and Xander does a Snoopy dance and they draw on that four seasons later. I think there's another word for it in screenwriting but it's just not coming to mind that idea of the series Bible. The joy scene with Angel outside the house. I found this so striking because in the season finale at that very same spot Joyce will encounter Spike and Buffy and Buffy will try to cover and uh, explain why Spike is there it's a great scene but then a vampire approaches and Buffy dusts him in front of Joyce so it's the first time Joyce sees that Buffy is the slayer and Buffy has to explain it to her and I love that we have that kind of resonance in bookend with Joyce being forced or Buffy being forced to tell her mother more about her real identity and it happens at the same place. I think that that can't be an accident. The computer disc falling in between the desk and the cabinet. This is so interesting because on the one hand I see it, it could be like an obvious foreshadowing for the audience. Hey, this spell is still here. Probably this is going to be important. Maybe Angel will get his soul back. But given the way the show is written, it could also be just Joss Whedon twisting the knife and saying yeah it's right there and they're never gonna know it so you don't really know for sure 
But it does set up the finale where Willow finds the disc and realizes that they could potentially bring Angel back because we also find out she has started experimenting with Jenny's spells. Overall, the voiceover on passion, it does carry the theme of the episode. What Giles talked about, this idea of love versus obsession and Angel in a way I think is talking about the same thing, passion, obsession, what it drives us to do. Just as it drives, you know, Xander to say these things about, you know, somebody ought to kill Angel. In the rest of the season, we will see that play out as Cordelia and Xander uh, have these really strong feelings about we should not bring Angel back, which is driven by their emotions. And likewise, Buffy deciding that Willow should try. You know, how much is a logical thing because that would stop Angel from all this killing and how much is she wants him back? And Willow's love for Buffy and friendship so strong that she will do whatever Buffy wants but also what she thinks is right. So there is just so much going on there and it foreshadows season three where when Buffy knows Angel is back and doesn't tell everyone those high emotions, everything that happened here informs that. How can she tell them that he's back? Especially when we see at the end of this season he'll torture Giles. How can she tell Giles he's back? And then that passion drives everyone's anger toward Buffy for sheltering Angel. So, so much here in this episode. And then there's Joss's comment in the interview that he wanted it so the audience wouldn't be sure if they wanted Angel back, if they wanted his soul restored. And that is all foreshadowed here because Angel, we know now his soul could be lost. And because he killed Jenny, we know the dire consequences. So it is is a very real fear grounded in reality of what could happen. So we are on the sides of all the characters of Buffy wanting to restore the soul of the others fearing it in the finale and then in season three. And I will end with one last fun, uh, less foreshadowing, more I think sort of an Easter egg for those fans who really paid attention. It would be more obvious now if you are binge watching Buffy, but at the time the episodes could often be quite spread out. I don't recall how much there was between Passion and the finale, but it was it was probably at least six weeks, might have been more. So we will see when they talk about possibly doing the spell to restore Angel's soul. Remember the proprietor in this episode of the Magic Shop said, uh, Orb of Thessala, yeah, I, I sold some as new age paperweights, you know, kind of scoffing at these people who don't really know the trade. And we'll see when Willow says, you need an orb of Thessala and Childs goes in his office and brings one out and says, oh, I, I've been using it as a paperweight. That's just, I think, a fun thing they threw in for the fans. That is it for this episode. Thank you again for listening. I hope you will come back next Monday for Killed by Death. It is a somewhat lighter episode, or I guess I should say it's a, it's a one-off episode. Not one of my favorites as I remember it, but as often happens as I do this podcast, perhaps I will change my mind. Music for this episode was composed and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman, LLC. Copyright 2020.